Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shuttlepod podcast. I am your host, Kaylee Iacovino, and I am joined by the full contingent of the Shuttlepod crew. That Ooh. is Brian Drew. Hello everybody. Matt Wright. Hey guys. And J-Rad Whitley. <laughs> Hailing frequencies open, Captain Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we are all gathered here today to talk about something that very special has just debuted in the Star Trek universe. Um, it may have flown under the radar of, of the less um, sort of eagle-eyed fans who are watching Picard and listening to all the Strange New Worlds news and Star Trek Chicago, but the Star Trek The Motion Picture, the first Star Trek film on the silver screen, um, has come alive in a new 4K director's edition. Um, Brian has a really excellent review on this on trekmovie.com, so I really encourage you to go read that and check it out. I know I learned a lot by reading it, and um, I've just watched this yesterday. I think all of us have watched it now, and we wanted to talk about sort of our reactions to it, go over the history of the film a little bit, sort of put this new director's edition into context alongside all of the other editions of Star Trek motion picture that have come out um, and then just go over our reactions to it. You know, what's different and is it worth you watching? So guys, director's edition, Star Trek, the motion picture. Why is this so special? Um, so I think one of the things that why this is so special uh, is that this is a thing that even you know back in 2001 if, if people don't sort of know or remember this got done as a special project um 22 years ago now right um and we didn't even think that was going to ha- ever happen by the way so this is a really special thing and basically this is um to call it a director's cut is sort of an understatement but what it is 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 robert wise the director of this movie never really got to finish up the film never really got to polish it so amazingly he he and you know sort of marketing influence you know worked in his favor to uh get a final cut really done of his movie in 2001 so in that sense it's really quite something and then here we are again in 2022 with uh, for reasons we'll get into, we get we get a new sort of refreshed version based on his blueprint from 2001. Right. And is this the first time that this has been released in 4K, all UHD? Uh, the director's edition? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The only, other, the only other cut that's in 4K is the original theatrical cut. Yeah. That was like late last year, if you remember. There was a four-pack of movies put out yeah one through four so i think this is really interesting and this is a part that, that i learned about this film before rewatching the latest director's edition 4k release um is really how critically different it is from the theatrical release i was not alive in 1979 and so never saw this film in theaters when it came out and so from the perspective of you know someone who was a star trek fan at that time seeing this as a standalone thing as the only version that existed on the screen in 79, you know, there are several, can I say issues Mm. (laughs) with that? Oh yeah. uh, Release of the film that have been sort of fixed. (laughs) 
Like this, like the scene where Captain Kirk is coming out of the ship in his spacesuit, and there's the huge gaff where we can see the scaffolding. Well, so that's not the theatrical version. Oh, that's, we'll get oh, to that. That's sorry. actually we'll jump, I jumped ahead. That's that's the, the to go to the insanity that sort of became the motion yep. picture, right? There's also because what what Jared is alluding to is the crazy overstuffed um, ABC version. version. Yeah. yeah, which then got marketed. Uh, Paramount thought it was fan- just so neat that that became the version that the only version you could get like on VHS for hmm. years. That, that, that um, was, was the, the version special I had as longer a kid. version. Yeah, yeah, me too, because that was really the only did. thing you could get. Yep. And so it's an overstuffed version that they basically just went, hey, how can we make this an exclusive you know, thing first for ABC to show, right? And then they took that and put it on VHS. And they just went, yeah, there's at least deleted scenes. Can we just throw some of those back in? And of course they did without consulting yeah. anyone. ABC um, paid a huge sum for yeah. the broadcasting rights. And, and so they think... wanted an exclusive version for right. it. And there you go. So yeah, in 83, right? That That's 83. Yeah. yeah. So from 83 on, not necessarily everywhere, but in the U.S., uh, from 83 on, that was pretty much the only version you could find. Right. So I think most of us, you know, that's what we've rented, you know, from Blockbuster or whatever. That's that's what we saw. And it's not actually very good no, <laughs> because it makes it, it even it, longer. Yeah, and it was the, oh. and, that, and that version was done without any input from Robert Wise. Yeah, no, no, it was literally, hey, these deleted scenes, splice them back in. Okay, whatever, great, like kind of thing. Which is how you get that shot of the of Kirk coming out right. of the Enterprise, which is, and you can which see is the from soundstage a, rafters. Yeah, because there was supposed to be a mat. When, when I took film one hundred and one, yep. there our textbook had a picture of that as here's what you shouldn't do as a filmmaker. Oh, Ooh, ouch! Yeah, it was bad. I mean, she had no business being there. Well, yeah, I mean, in the the, the spacesuit is even wrong because that was the version one of the spacesuit that they were trying yeah. out. Found them totally terrible and uncomfortable, and started over. But anyway, we, we yeah. this is part <laughs> That's of the, the massive, right? massive saga that is the back behind the scenes stories of Star Trek the Motion Picture. Right. But it it seems like a lot of those issues, like a, a lot of this stems from the issues that happened sort of behind the scenes during the original production. Oh yeah, hundred oh, yeah. percent. Oh yeah. So they ran out of I mean the short version, right, is that they had a deadline and there was no moving it for a variety of weird industry reasons. So they had to do something, right? They had to have a cut of the film done and ready to go on December 6th, right? Uh, December so, 7th. Or 7th. Uh, six, that's right. Uh, I, uh, 1979. And they had to. They, there was basically no choice. So they were just, you know, chopping things out and splicing in, you know, effects footage that was just, you know, just cranked out that yeah. day, the day before, you know? I mean, it's crazy to think about that. Yeah. So let's get into it then. Let's get into it. Yeah. Um, this movie, the original idea behind this movie was for to be the pilot for the phase two series that ended up not happening. It was a script called In Thy Image. And when they decided that they weren't Paramount, decided it wasn't going to do its own television ne- network because Star Trek was originally supposed to be the flagship show of the this new Paramount network. This is a theme, as we've talked about. As we've seen, yeah. This is a long-time theme with Star Trek. This is the beginning of it. Um, once they decided, Paramount decided it wasn't financially viable for them to start their own broadcast network, they decided, and between that and Star Wars coming out and then Close Encounters right after that, 
they decided, you know what, let's make this, let's spend some money and make a Star Trek feature film. So while they were converting the script, they got the cast together and because Leonard Nimoy had been a holdout for the series and they brought him in and it was ended up being a big, because of the popularity of science fiction in the late seventies, they decided to spend a good amount of money on it. I think the original budget for the movie was like $18 million, which is more than Star Wars. Oh yeah. Star Wars was just Um, 10 million. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, they started shooting without a completed script. So there was times when they would literally, the cast would sit around waiting for more pages to arrive. And so, so it was a good way to go. Yeah, huh? that tells people yeah. confidence. <laughs> yeah, like the first the first act was finished, but they were writing the rest of the movie after that. So they had, you know, they were, you know, basically every day new pages. Sometimes they would get different revisions of pages two or three times in one day. Holy cow. And that's wow. a whole other story. Well, that's yeah, a whole that's, other story. That's, that's a whole thing between story. Gene Roddenberry yeah. and Harold Livingston. That's a whole other thing. So um, yeah, two two people, yeah. Yeah. You know fighting there over right. the, the words, you know, the content. Right. So bottom line is that they finished wrapping the movie much later than they were supposed to. Just, just the basic photography of the film. And then they had hired a, a, a effects company called Robert Abel and associates to do the effects work. Cause originally they wanted Douglas Trumbull to do it. And Trumbull had just finished close encounters and really didn't want to be doing another special effects movie. He wanted to be doing other things. So he turned it down. They went with this company called Robert Abel and Associates, who were a talented bunch of people, but they had never attempted anything on the scale of a feature film, let alone one that was going to be as big. Because they were mostly was. commercial work, right? Yes, it yeah. was very clever stuff. They were very cutting edge, but like they, they were not ready to handle something of that scale. Bottom line is, they finished shooting the movie. Wise wants to see what they have, and they had spent, at least at that point, a few million dollars, and had not come up with a, a frame of usable footage. Thanks. Special effects footage. And now, at this point, they're less than a year away from release at this point. Then they decided, through a bunch of other business arrangements, which I'm not going to get into, they got Trumbull to do the movie. Mm-hmm. And because it was so much work, they had seven... They, there were twice as many effect shots in the motion picture than there were in the first Star Wars movie. Wow. wow. That's... It's a massive... I mean, you, you look at the movie. I mean, it's just yeah. it's loaded with it. And so they had twice... So I think it's like 500 shots, something like that. And... They ended up having seven months to do it, which is just crazy. Especially when you consider with no computers, like, with no yeah. computers. Yep. We're talking yep. traditional, yeah, exactly, traditional visual effects, practical like. effects. Yeah, <clears throat> so they had seven months to get it done because Paramount had taken what was called. I don't think they do this anymore because it's they don't. It's extremely unethical. It's called. It was called blind blind booking. I believe it's called blind booking, blind bidding. Paramount had accepted thirty million dollars upfront from theater owners. With condition being obviously that the picture got delivered on its release date. So Paramount was kind of, you know, they had this money in hand and that movie, in, unless they were, they were going to face a huge loss if they did not oh, wow. get the movie out on, on December seventh, on December 7th, 1979. So at that point, they just started throwing huge amounts of money at it oh, to get to it finished. There were two effects houses that worked 24-7 for seven months. Uh, this is the yeah, and, and Doug Trumbull talks about right. uh, having to check himself into the hospital. He right? went into he, exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! He didn't even go to the premiere. He was he was in the hospital. Uh-huh. He yeah. had like ulcers and like all sorts. Of, like he was a yeah. disaster. I mean, he had just exhausted himself. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he had wiped him out. Um, yeah. So because of that, though, first of all, they, that's when the budget went completely out of control, and the movie became notorious for being one of the most expensive movies ever made. Um, 
I think now I don't know what it adjusted for inflation, but it was $45 million at the time, which was an enormous sum of money. So bottom line is, you know, they got the, the movie done, but it affected because of the, the, the hurried nature of it, as Matt alluded to, they were getting effects in very, you know, it, it basically as soon as they can get it completed, they would send it off to Paramount and Wise and his editor would cut it into the film. But there were times like, you know, that stuff when they finally get through the cloud and they're, in, you know, they're, they're the enterprise is going over the V'ger craft, mm-hmm. all the stuff that feels like it goes forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's because basically they would, they, the effects house finished shooting the footage and with no time to really do anything with it. They just, they had these huge holes basically in the film, with film leader that said effects missing. And what you did, you dropped it in put a few cutaways in it and they just kept going because they had no time. So yeah, there was no yes. time to finesse the movie at all. So that's why, I mean, the pacing sucks. Honestly. That's why the it's pacing is so yeah. shitty. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Because they had no time. And like you said, the first third of the movie moves pretty well. Right. It's not, it's only until they get into the cloud that the thing starts it's to really grind. slow down because that's all where all the effects, because it's yeah. all, it's all very effects heavy. Yeah. That's so interesting. I kind of feel the opposite. I feel like the beginning is is a lot slower. Oh, interesting. Mm, that's interesting. Because yeah. it's like things just happen and there's not like a lot of it doesn't progress the plot. Like mm. they like, like there will be a little little plot progressing moments in them, but they take 10 minutes to give you one moment. Like like the thing where they go into a wormhole because the intermix is mm. wrong. Oh, yeah. And if they're in this room for like 10 minutes and the thing we get out of that is that Decker knows more about the Enterprise than this new Enterprise than Kirk and Kirk's mad and then Bones yells at him and whatever, <laughs> yeah. which is important. But we didn't need 10 minutes of But it needed, you know what it was? They needed set pieces for the movie. And that was one of the set pieces. Well, and then like Spock, Spock arrives and the, the, the like reason in the plot to get him on the Enterprise is like, partly so that he can fix and then they're like oh he fixed like he gave us a new engine design apparently all of starfleet couldn't come up with a good <laughs> engine design to go to warp well no but- i don't think that's what that was the enterprise basically was just rushed out of dock and i think that's the only reason why well yeah and- but he as soon as he showed up he's like i'll go give these new engine specs to the to engineering and then they go to warp and it's fine yeah. It, it had also been established that their science officer had been murdered in a transporter accident. So there was a gap in their staffing. But you're right. It's it's clunky. Yeah, for sure. But it is, yeah. And like, he doesn't know that. Yeah. But the thing is, that, look, the part, one of the things they're trying to do with the movie is reintroduce the cast. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff that would normally be there if you already, you know. This yeah, I think Star it's Trek just two I, or three. You know, they wouldn't do that part of it. They would go straight into it. But there's a lot of like welcome the gang back kind of stuff. Happening. Completely. Sure. I just I think too though. It, like you said, it's the pacing that it drags all those moments out for so long. And you know, I always joke about the scene of them of um, Kirk and Scotty looking at the Enterprise for like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh that yeah, that scene goes on way a too long. Tenth of the length. Yeah. yeah. You will find a lot of people that disagree with you. I was just going to say, there are a ton of people who will defend that, though. Yeah, Like, even... Okay, so I could appreciate this more in this version because it's in such high quality. And and as Brian pointed out to all of us, the sound mix 
is really incredible in this new version. So I mm. cranked up the speakers and I was watching and I was just listening to the to the overture over, you know, over these different mm-hmm. scenes. And so there was more to it of like, oh, look at that. Look, wow, look at the detail on that. The spectacle. You know, look, and so it was more of a spectacle for the eyes, which I get it. That's what it was supposed to be. It was what it yeah, was in 1979. That's what it was supposed to be if you sat in the theater in 1979. And yeah, and of course it would have been. And then like looking at it from a modern lens, watching a non HD version of it, it's not, it's like, why are we still looking at this thing? Because we're used to the higher quality. And so seeing it in this higher quality helped me appreciate that. But that scene is still too long. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> which in which as, as you know, it's 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 divisive. There are a lot of people who are who agree with that and there are a lot of people who are like, "No, it's amazing, you know, leave it as is kind of thing." I I think the uh movie would have a better reputation and they wouldn't need to keep coming out with new versions of it if they would address that situation right if the movie were if there were an option to see an edited trimmed down version of it i think there are people who'd watch it who haven't given it a chance i uh was Mm. joking that i should that i should make the kayla cut of star trek motion picture it'd be about half the length (laughs) but that might just be heresy and piss too many Uh, people off that would be but I, I get what you're saying, of course. But. but maybe Jared's right. Maybe some people would would come to it and they wouldn't have watched the longer version ever. You know what's so funny is it's not even all that long. I just feel, sometimes it feels that way, but the movie's only like two hours. It's not like it's the three hour, you know. Yeah, two hours is like, I'm like an hour and a half kind of girl <laughs> for a movie. Two hours <laughs> is like my limit. Yeah. Okay, so we had to take a little quick break there for a moment. Um, Jared had to step away and cannot join us for the rest of this pod, so the three of us will soldier on. So where were we? Oh, so we're like we were in the post production of the movie, and near the end, it got really hairy. Um, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, you know, ended up doing this score that to this day is regarded as one of the all time great movie scores, not just a Star Trek score. It's very highly regarded. Is often regarded as his best of his career uh, but yeah, he excellent. was <laughs> but he was like scoring that he finished his last scoring session for the movie i think three or four days maybe five days before the movie came out like, yeah talk about another person you know yeah <laughs> overworked right like working like crazy yeah everybody yeah. was working right everybody. to the end yeah um, incredible and he had rescored a bunch of the themes he was there was yeah everybody was who worked on that movie was under some form of duress um I mean, it got so close that the the premiere for the movie, I believe, was on December sixth, and it was at the Smithsonian in Washington. The cast was there; like it was a big deal. It was a huge media event. Um, Gene was there. Robert Wise. Robert Wise took a print from the lab, got on a plane, flew with it on the plane, and hand delivered it to the projector. Amazing yep. projectionist, and they were so close to missing basically their premiere dates that like there is there are photographs of this they cleared an entire sound stage and were like had all these empty canisters ready with the labels on them and everything and as the prints were coming out of the lab they were dropping them in these canisters and and like airlifting them on airplanes like it was crazy what they were doing like they were most of the prints that got shipped out to movie theaters across the united states were wet when they left (laughs) they were still out of the they that's like they no time to like do anything with them they'd be like okay it's out of the lab throw it in the canister put it on a plane get it out of here that's how 
close that movie came to that. It is, I think, to this day, it is regarded as the the most nightmarish post production of any movie ever. Jeez, what a shame! Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. It's such a shame. Yeah, and it really. I mean, it disappointed a lot of people. I mean, the movie financially did not was not a blockbuster by any means, but it also made money for the studio. The studio didn't lose money on it because at one point they were terrified that. It was it was the the production cost was so out of control. It was one of those kind of movies that could bankrupt the studio. Wow. So it just a lot of things just you know, but it ultimately made enough money and it did very well in the licensing area. I think hmm. they licensed a ton of stuff. There's still things I I, I see on online that I didn't, weren't even aware that they had <laughs> put out. There was so much licensing for that movie. Oh, so much! It's crazy. Um, well, and they thought it was going to be a hit with kids, which is kind of interesting, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, that, that was the first McDonald's. The first McDonald's Happy yep. Meal ever was for Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Well, yep. It's and the least a... children's film. Like, it's what? so weird. It's arguably the most adult Star Trek movie. Yes, yeah. yes. And there's there's a whole uh, make your own costume book from TMP as well. I mean, oh yeah, it, I had a lot of that stuff. I had yeah, pop up books. The pop up book, yeah. yeah. Did they have the costumes that I call the Reese the Reese's cups people? Which ones are those? <laughs> That's awesome. People. Probably actually. Do you know what I'm talking you. about? The no. engineering people, and they have like a cowl. There's like a a dark brown black cowl that they wear and it looks like an upside down Reese's cup wrapper. Oh, around yeah. their necks. The you mean the radiation people. suits they're wearing? I guess those are the radiation suits. They yeah, have a big they big rubber black cowl or I don't know what material it is. It looks thick. Like around the neck and it looks like like uh it's got folds in it like a Reese's cup wrapper. Oh, I'll have to look at that again. I <laughs> yeah. like that. I like your description oh, nonetheless. That was great. <laughs> But yeah, they had so much stuff that was out there for it. It was crazy how much stuff. So ultimately, the, the movie made money. Obviously, enough money for Paramount to go make Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But there was a lot of damage done. It, that movie, the failure of the movie to be more than what it was is what did Gene in, ultimately. Aww. Because after that, like the studio kind of came to Gene. Because Gene owned a certain percentage of the Star Trek franchise. And... After that, I think the studio bought him out. They gave yeah, him. They're like, they paid him a lot of money. They gave him a lot of money to, to buy hmm. out a share of Star Trek. I take it and back, then, my oh. And then they gave him an executive. They kind of kicked him. They pushed him out of the way. And what? And to be fair to him, it wasn't really all his fault. It was Wise's fault a lot of it, and the studio and there, there, a lot of people did not understand that, what they were trying to do with that movie and weren't yeah. really ready. It wasn't Gene caught the brunt of it, but I don't, it was not all Gene's fault. Um, and then Gene got pushed aside, became an executive consultant, and he got mm-hmm. paid very well to do that too. They but let him he keep had, an office on the lot. But he lost, but, yeah. But he <laughs> lost, but he lost complete control of his creation after that. Yep, that's true. So anyway, the movie got made, got out, and then, as we alluded to earlier, there was an ABC cut, and they had paid. I think ABC paid like ten million dollars for the broadcasting rights to this thing. So is this the first like edition that was different from the theatrical? Yeah, that's cut? the first edition you yeah. could say beyond theatrical. Right, okay. and this is like the special longer version. I think it was twelve minutes they added back in. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is, I know, which is it crazy. Is, it, it is, is what crazy. is referred to as the sit long and prosper edit. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah, <laughs> that's better. That's even better than the motionless picture. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, <laughs> so good. The thing that was good about that, though, is there is stuff in there that was cut out of the theatrical cut that never should have been cut out. It never should have. Right. Uh. That, that scene when Spock is crying. And that was says, cut. Logic and knowledge. So logic and knowledge are people. not enough. Yes. They're but crazy and they cut it. Isn't that well, like crazy. the most important part of the entire film? Yes, it's yeah, a well, very it, important it's part. It's kind of the thesis of the whole movie. Yeah. Yes. But so, here's, here's the problem, though. Yeah. They had two scenes almost back to back where everybody gets up and goes and talks to Spock, and Spock gives them all this information. That's right. That's okay. part, It's bad storytelling to keep doing that. Okay, oh, Spock's got more things to tell us. Let's go see what Spock has. Yeah, he does that a lot in this film. But it's particular. But, but on that, and, and near the end of the movie, it happens twice in the space of like five minutes. It's like very quick, and I think they probably made a decision. First of all, the movie was running long, and second of all, they were probably like, "We got to make a decision here." Like you know, that's like which the one. Which one moves the, the the plot further along? I guess, and they thought that the Vija as a child part was more important than the. Because that's that Good leads into Lord. like Vija, but that could because that leads into Vija yeah. throwing the temper tantrum and no, attacking tantrum, him. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's why they decided to go with that. But I know there's a oral history of the of the movie that came out like five or six years ago that because Leonard Nimoy conceived of that scene, the Vija, the um when he Spock's crying, that's like Leonard Nimoy's scene. He came up with that whole thing, mm-hmm. and when he saw the movie in the theater at the premiere and saw that it wasn't in there got very upset <laughs> yeah i would and, too that's like the, appara- that's like the conclusion to spock's arc like the rest of spock's arc in the film makes sense because of that one moment yeah that that and when he's in when he's on the sick bay bed and he's like this simple feeling is beyond being just comprehension yes. all that stuff yeah um it's a huge spock movie it is um, oh yeah he's a anyway star. yeah so he he got very upset about that and wanted to know why it had been removed and it was a whole Magilla. Um, but that's in the longer version. So I think people were like, holy shit, this is like an amazing scene. Well, you know, so when the time came to do the director's edition, they slipped that back in. Cool. But that longer version, like I said before, was not wise, had nothing to do with that. Was very upset. No, in fact, ever, he was really got out in upset public. Yeah. that they did that, you know? Yep. Because so. it was in a very unfinished state. But that was, and that became for the long time, that was like the only one that was in circulation in the United States, that version. So, yeah. so it's had a very checkered history, the movie. And then, and then, and then <laughs> ahead, Matt. Take, take it, Matt. Oh well. So then, in '99, they get the chance to start working on it anew. You could say, um, you know, that that whole DVD thing was going gangbusters. So they were able to convince Paramount, well, hey, like DVDs are the hot thing and making you lots of money. Let us make you know go go back with you know robert wise let him have a final cut we'll put it together we'll fix some you know visual effects errors like whatever and we'll put it on dvd and we'll and you know it'll sell like hotcakes you know whatever so they did but of course in true sort of short-sighted you know home video I don't know, whatever marketing well, and, they well, went. And Paramount, Paramount was particularly notorious. For yeah, they're particularly bad about that. Yeah. They went, huh? Why would you do anything other than just crank it out for DVD? You know, essentially. Like, what do you mean we should probably scan this at a higher resolution for like future preservation? Mm-hmm. What do you mean you should maybe render the visual effects like at HD resolution? Or film resolution. Or film, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. 
whatever that is, by the way. But because so these days that's 4K, but right. you know, is this the point where they added any CG? Yes. yes. So this was them putting in a little bit more CG. And again, they had to just crank it out knowing that the end result was whatever looked okay on like a standard deaf TV. You yeah, know what right. I mean? Yeah. And so, the print that they used, as I alluded to in my review, was a very poor print. It was dirty. Yeah, it, it is a bummer. It's the, a real subpar It's print very gritty and dirty. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as much as it was short-sighted at the time to do it that way, it benefits the movie in the long run because they came back 20 years later and they have many more tools to do it a ton to, better. To yeah. do it much better. Yeah. So, but so I think the, some of the important stuff that the that the director's vision, both versions, because they follow the same blueprint, do is uh, as we talked about, the Spock scene is back in, which is important. Yeah. Um, they cut out some really dumb stuff where Sulu goes gaga over Ilea. But that's in the longer version. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That is in the longer version. So okay, no, they that, did not, not keep in the that. Theatrical cut, no. no, you're right. Sorry, that was cut right. out for a reason. <laughs> yeah, that was cut for a reason. Um, Weird. Uh, but even alluding to the fact that idea needs to be shown anything, even though she's supposed to be a top navigator, is just dumb. You know, oh, show her where her work, her station is, and it's like, what? She knows. Oh, you know, yeah. well, it was a new ship. I think that's part of the reason why the Enterprise. Yeah, but they're trying. So they ship. they were trying too hard though. So they cut a lot of that out. Yeah, that and, was all gone. Yeah, um, and then, but more sort of bigger, more important things is, uh, especially you know, I I can't remember if the if the longer version makes us worse or or not but kirk is a real asshole in the theatrical version for a lot of it um and they didn't really you know wise apparently because this his 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 edits he really never liked that it didn't mean for him to look so jerky and so they do a lot to kind of fix up you know kind of kirk's moodiness early on yeah yeah kirk is kirk is already intense enough (laughs) Right, yeah, I was he's gonna already say, a little he's off his game. You pretty know, big jerk in the yeah, yeah, in the cut down version. But, so, but but you know, so but the things that are kind of infamously like because some people actually like these and I don't understand it. But uh, the thing that they cut, there's two things that were cut that are kind of noticeable, is during the transporter accident, Shatner's delivery it's is awful. weird, where he kind of goes, "Oh my god," but it's but it's, it's very flat. It's it's weird, almost like he's like being flippant in a way, or like sarcastic or something. Yeah. Basically, like he doesn't give a shit that that just happened. And he, and I obviously like I don't know what it is, but that's the delivery they got, and it's weird, and it mm-hmm. kind of makes him look like an ass, right? Like, it's like so, this guy I was talking to just an hour ago, just like <clears> yeah, just dying horribly. Well, yeah. And you saw him do it, like he, you know, you saw him like form and then you know die horribly and scream. Face, but, yeah, scream. By the way, not for kids. <laughs> Just to go back to the, that, they merchandise and it got and that movie was G rated when it came out. It's because that because well yeah, seventies ratings were weird. I guess like off screen death, so to speak. But like I love the line of like what we what we got back didn't live long. Fortunately, fortunately, yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, it's dark, man. When you think about like, because if you think about what materialized, it's straight out of. Oh like, my Cronenberg. god, they're forming. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So, so he says this weird delivery, and so so they lost that, thankfully. And then, um, if you remember, he's also an ass to Uhura about the viewer turning the viewer off in the big wreck deck scene. So. They show, you know, the Epsilon 9 station being absorbed mm-hmm. and they're all sort of mouth agape about it. And so Kirk says, viewer off. Well, there's t- he repeats himself more sternly in the theatrical version. 
And he's just like, come on, distracted and you're not off. It off. Yeah. He's like, come on, you know, like get up there, veer off. Like he repeats himself and snaps at her basically. So there's a couple things like that where it's like, yeah, it's probably for the best. They cut that. He, he's kind of an ass. Like, yeah, but so. at that point he is kind of an ass. Like, he, well, it's true, but I mean, no, they don't need to make it look more like, yeah. Cause he's pretty unlikable at, at times yeah. instead of just kind of off his game. I, yeah. I gotta say, I think this movie is rough for the character of Kirk. It is. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, he's having a rough time as a character anyway, but what's you know? the, I mean, his resolution, like Spock has the big, the best arc. Like far and away, yeah. mm-hmm. it is. It's Spock's yeah. movie. It's Spock's yeah. movie. But what's like? I, I don't know. It's a little. This last time I watched it, I've I realized that I felt sort of disappointed in the the evolution of the Kirk character. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot. He doesn't. He Basically, never comes to term with with the fact that he completely inappropriately <laughs> stole. Yep. The command of the Enterprise and all of this stuff. He's just like, oh, it's Feature. Wow, cool. Like the end. Like that yes, was and, his and conveniently, and conveniently, his replacement, you know, uh, left right. to go yes. be with Vizier. You know, here, so. here's here's one of the things when they were creating the Phase Two series because Decker was in Phase Two. Mm-hmm. They after they started writing the scripts because I think they wrote several scripts and had outlines for several more, maybe at least twelve or thirteen, maybe more than that. They began to realize as they were writing that Decker really served no dramatic purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, in Which, phase two or in the movie? Yeah, in phase two. In phase, in two. phase two. So he and he really doesn't serve. A and he has no much. Either. Yeah, he doesn't do much. He's kind of he's kind of just an obstacle for Kirk at one point, and then he's just yeah. he looks like an ass half the time because he's too cautious about things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? Until he does get to say, "This is how I define unwarranted," and he's actually right about that. I guess. But I guess, but for I, once, yes, but no, Maybe because not. also Maybe like not. this thing is at Earth. We gotta. I think Kirk was correct to push as hard as he I did. I agree. Oh, I think he was too. I just, you know, it's like maybe there's an argument to be made finally for Decker being in yeah. normal circumstances, but not when this thing is about to wipe out all life on Earth. Then yeah. you send it you send the ship in. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Kirk's obsessiveness with the Enterprise and getting his life back after making the mistake of being promoted to Admiral. Yeah, he he steamrolls over Decker. Of course, Starfleet also allows him to steamroll over Decker. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. You know, yeah, Decker and Kirk have it out over it. But the bottom line is, the fleet clearly had a certain level of no confidence in him that they thought that they should put an established veteran in command of the ship. And damn it, the Enterprise a... <laughs> was the only ship that the only ship. Isn't that always, isn't, so we now have two cliches that start here. I mean, it wasn't a cliche yet, but they start here. But right. the worst the, cliche is because it's at, literally it, at Earth. Like, there's yeah. really no other ships. Yeah, really. Well, no in other starships. He says no other starships. So if you're going by that, maybe there are no other Constitution-class ships. Yeah, there. there's like okay. there's little cargo ships and some other stuff around. But, but it's possible like all, the other, all the other Constitution-class ships were probably out, you know. Doing their five-year missions or whatever. Right. Yeah. But either way, yeah. So the cliche starts here, unfortunately. And, and the other cliche is the whole inept new captain thing, right? That the veteran has to show him yeah and not that decker was inept but like he maybe wasn't. he was just yeah. green he no green but i mean it like... gets taken to that as a trope is what i mean like yes, it starts it here and becomes a trope he's no like... john harriman though no thank goodness right he's no john harriman <laughs> it's all good against all tuesday okay yeah exactly. oh, gosh anyway, although Cameron. like he was I, he was just working on that transporter circuit and then that <sighs> accident happened so hmm. yeah. just want to say there should be an investigation into that yeah yeah 
Well, now he's gone into a new form of life. You can't really <laughs> hold yeah. him responsible anymore. Yeah. We can try um, him in absentia. Yeah, yeah, true. But yeah, I agree. Kirk's arc, you know, what happens to Kirk is that he basically, McCoy shows up, chews him out. Yep. Pretty good. McCoy puts him in his place. Spock best. shows up and then he just basically reverts to being the Kirk of the original series. Yeah, but it's like totally unearned. They didn't, like I said, it's mostly Spock's movie. I it's, think. yeah. Oh, very much so. And like, and then that's like Decker and Ilya have like a weird arc that's also not really that satisfying, but yeah, also just because they're these brand new characters and there's so much time spent with like the original cast that they don't get to be fleshed out that much. Decker, Decker, in light of what happens to him at the end, Decker should have been fleshed out better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because in, in I don't know if you've ever read Roddenberry's novelization, but Gene writes crazy. It, it is crazy. It's also very good in certain spots. It's not a bad novel overall. It's just got some weird shit in it. Um, <laughs> Tell me it's yeah. not weird sex shit. Oh, it's, oh, of it's course very it's weird. Okay. It's very weird. Oh, my God, it is. <laughs> I, think you, I feel like you guys have told me this before. And then it's, oh, worth yeah, about the, a, it's actually worth reading. The, the, love Coaches. The novel's worth reading. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because the Deltons um, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He loved yeah, the Delton thing. Was Yeah. But he does a whole backstory for Decker. Where when you know because obviously he's Matt Decker's son. Well, well that's the thing; they never even give that a line. It's of not, like but it's not important in the movie, though. It really isn't important. But they should have just to fill it in a little. You could give this little exposition. Yeah. Oh, but Gene yeah. makes it very clear he's Matt Decker's kid, and yeah. he, when his father was away in Starship Command, his mother raised him on Earth, and he got his mother was into like. And they talk about this. Gene talks about this group that was on Earth at the time called the New Humans, the which New were like humans. they were into like group consciousness and like. Oh, it's it's very seventies. Yeah, it's a very seventies thing that he kind of inject. Yeah, and it's like you know group mind sharing and stuff like that. Yikes. So, and his his mother, I think, had brought him into the fringes of that movement when he was a child. So he was familiar with that and the rewards of it. So when the opportunity came at the end. he was was far more receptive to doing it but you couldn't you couldn't do that kind of backstory in a movie it would take too long oh no of course not but decker needed to be more developed than he was because he really is nothing more than an obstacle for kirk yeah and then the solution at the end yeah yeah and the solution at the end which they didn't know at the time they were making the movie that he was necessarily going to be the solution but he was (laughs) did they have an ending i think at one point they were talking about actually spock being the one who became part of the life form which would have been interesting and then he would have just been gone or yeah that would have been the end of that you wow. know you gotta remember one of the things they remember you gotta remember they made a first movie there was no i don't know how you know in those days it wasn't that whole idea of oh we're gonna make a series this is a right. franchise you know it could have to it a lot of people it. that that was could have been it you know what i mean like so i was like oh wow we, great great achievement we made this movie and you know it's almost unheard of that many tv shows come you know become major feature films you know so there was no guarantee that there would have been a star trek two and three and four and all that stuff Hmm. anyway so so yeah that it is spock's movie it's all about spock it's a huge there's some huge growth moments for the character in the movie huge yeah huge yeah yeah and it's it's like a nice coda to what we learned of him from the series, what we learn about Vulcans and right. you know, the emotions that Spock has and him always struggling with that. And it gives us some kind of closure to this struggle. He's finally found. Yeah. Cause at the beginning of the movie, he's, he's doing something kind of very stupid and immature. He's trying to rad- eradicate an entire part of himself. Yeah. Ha true. Yep. Yeah. You know? 
you know, getting back to the director's edition, you know, it took 20 years and they've been trying for years to get this. And, you know, there's been a lot of people asking when it was going to be done, when it was going to be done. And it took a couple of years, but they finally, they finally got it. Paramount Plus needing, needing fresh material for their streaming service. You know, they got, they were able to take advantage of that, I think. Yeah. You know, um, and then, you know, they got lucky with, you know, Doug Trumbull happened to, you know, we and I will my little my little part in this whole thing was when I interviewed him. What was it three years ago at this point? God, yeah, um, yeah. And it, they had just made a soft announcement that they were going to do this director's edition thing, and I mentioned it to him because it was like the week before it had been announced, and I mentioned it to him, and he said, "Well, if that's the case, they really should go looking for all my sixty-five millimeter film effects elements that." are probably in a paramount vault somewhere and hmm. they should use those scan those and use those you know to redo the effects because the upgrading quality because i don't know if any you know i don't know if either of you or i suspect matt has seen this and maybe some of the listeners have the blade runner blu-ray that's out there the original blade runner oh yeah is the product of trumbull because who, who who he did the effects of the, the movie he, in that instance, also had done 65 millimeter stuff. So when they redid the movie for Blu-ray, they rescanned all the 65 millimeter elements. And if you watch Blade Runner, when the movie opens and they come out to that shot of a future LA, oh, it's and stunning. the Tyrell building in the distance, it is astonishing to look at, like the details and like it is just, it is absolutely gorgeous. And that's because they went back to the original elements and rescanned everything and. and and dropped it back in at the higher resolution. So 65 millimeter film is 8K. Easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's what they ended up doing. So when he mentioned that to me, I told I mentioned it to Darren Docterman. And then I think after that, you know, he talked to he's he was friends with friendly with Trumbull anyway, and they all took it from there. But um but that's what happened. So they got a hold of a lot, not all of it, but a lot of his 65 millimeter elements and a lot of John Dykstra's stuff that he shot in this division. Amazing. And that's why you, and I'm sure you saw it in when you were watching the movie, the textures mm-hmm. on the enterprise hull, mm-hmm. like the Aztec tiling on the enterprise hull is like gorgeous. And then even just the, like in the very, very opening on the Klingon ships, the Klingon battle cruiser, yeah, the detail on them is much, much better. Yeah, it's crazy. The V'ger cloud, the layers in the V'ger cloud are much more pronounced when it's going flying over the ship itself, the V'ger vessel. All that stuff is much richer than it was. Yeah, much better. So that alone, you know, helps bring the movie up to what it was supposed to be originally. Like they said, like I mentioned in the review, this was supposed to be, this was sold as an epic film. It has an overture to it. It was paramount. It was designed to be this big, big, giant motion picture. Almost a throwback to the way big roadshow engagements, like for like Lawrence of Arabia right. and stuff like that. Giant, right. big, 2001, like giant roadshow presentations, 70 millimeter engagements, big stuff. Yep. And now it actually feels like it. And now, yeah. Now when you watch amazing. it, it yeah. looks more and looks and sounds more like a movie like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I have to say. Yeah. It really does now. Um, So I guess like for people who don't know what was added to beyond just um, making trims though, is I think two, a couple of really important things and minor things too, but uh, is Vulcan's, you know, was redone 
the statues because there was a really weird map painting that as it turns out nobody liked but they had to go with it (laughs) that's the controversial one that showed a showed a a moon when there shouldn't have been you know kind of thing has no moon mr yeah yeah um and even weirder because like the moon thing all right even weirder is you, you look up at the mat and it's a night but that's not what they of course that's not what they shot they shot in the daytime in um yellowstone so he looks up at the sky and it's like the night sky except for the sun is shining on him when you <laughs> when you go back down you know out of the matte painting it's so weird yeah right i mean and he even covers his, just, he even covers his eyes yeah he covers his face yeah. yeah so they you know it was just like what so it's bothered them you know from from the get go really um so yeah now you can actually see other giant statues like because right. it's a whole like you know valley of giant statues yeah, it's, it's what it was originally storyboarded as back oh yeah in the 70s. that's right this goes back to the art right yeah. the production art for yeah. this was that so yeah. all their all they did was do what they wanted to do in originally. 1979 yep. yeah so that's the kind of nice part is like this isn't just made up out of nowhere like this comes from their own art you know the art department back in 79 wanted to do this they just couldn't do it yeah so that's nice v'ger itself yeah i mean there's two things that i think really stand out about v'ger one is you actually get some good looks at what the hell v'ger is for once um that you know i mean i don't know about you guys but i was lost forever about what the hell v'ger was and looked like which you part watched... of v'ger well that's right the like... ship itself <laughs> But yeah, like you like because you know they'd come through the cloud and then they'd be like, "There's a thing," and you're like, "Really? It's still this nebulous group of like sort of organic shapes, right?" Yeah. But yeah. like, like so, where's the vessel? You know what I mean? Like, what's the vessel part of it? And for a long time, I never really had a clear idea. Um, I, you start if you ever see the the concept art, you do you can start to get an idea of it. And then in the first director's edition they do i mean it's still here in this one too but that's where they sort of really show it is the cloud dissipates which by the way they even say it's dissipating Mm -hmm. the difference is they tell but don't show in the theatrical version Mm. now they actually show they show the yeah they show i thought was that that in the 2001 cut as well yes yes okay yeah so it yeah it was just like lower res version of the same thing where now you see the cloud you know around v'ger dissipate and you can and you get a you know get a pretty good shot of sort of the the four you know por- portion of v'ger the front portion of v'ger like um and you get a pretty good idea of v'ger's overall shape of course by towards the end but before that there really wasn't much to give you a clue what the heck it looked like. Yeah, and the, and the geography of where you, the Enterprise was. Oh, yeah. That That's, is still a bit confusing, especially because of the gigantic imager that's, like, displaying images of, you know, planets and moons. And oh, galaxies. when you, when Spock goes into Vija's memory bank? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, where is all this? No, it's just, like, an image projected that actually yeah but that's that's inside v'ger too towards the front and that's the weird part is it's very hard to figure that out they've done they've done another tweak in this version to help a little bit um but then they go back in there to get to v'ger itself and that stuff isn't there yes and so like you said i think it's some kind of projection right imaging that's not really what's in there yeah spock says it's like a giant 
imager or something like that. Yeah. yeah. He basically says it's a gigantic imaging system. Yeah. So maybe they, that changes depending on what's neat. Who the hell knows? That's what I was thinking. Well, I mean, is that it's, it's just Spock passes too. through every single thing. Like he, like yeah, he, he passes through that imaging system with all the electricity passing yeah. through. It doesn't I mean, do anything it's, to him. So. And Viger's massive. So like, okay, I don't know which part, you know, we got shown at what point, you know what I mean? Like inside, we don't know the internal arrangement. Um, we just know the external arrangement. And even then that's hard to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but eventually, for example, um, I think I'm going to post a link to this in the show notes, but somebody actually did a kind of a fun little video review of the Eagle Moss model of V'ger mm-hmm. and then put up screen caps from oh. TMP, like to go with it. That's cool. So you can kind of go, Oh, here's where you're going over this part of V'ger. And it's, you know, it's helpful. I mean, I, 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 by, by this point I already know, but it came up and somebody was like, what do you, how do they reconcile the fact that like you're coming in at the back? And it was like, what do you mean? They don't need to reconcile anything. They start at the back, they go up and over V'ger and end up at the front, which is actually what happens. So um, the one thing that they did that wasn't there in the 2001, and I think this was smart, although Mm. looks a little wonky to me, but it, it was smart overall was they get to the front of V'ger and now the Enterprise actually flips around to face the front of V'ger. Right. Because before it just kind of emerged from the front and they never showed you right. yeah, what now, you were looking right. at. Right. Now they actually execute Kirk's orders. The way yeah. They turn around right. and you can stop at the front of V'ger. Right. Yeah. Which again, like those Kirk's orders didn't make a lot of sense to me either because you're like, okay, but it's still, you know, come 500 meters closer to this nebulous thing. So what, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like when you follow it, when you listen to what he tells them to do and follow it, you're like, okay, that's, that's actually following kind of what he said to do, but it's just hard. So I think the direction helps with that both versions, but especially the 2022, they made another little tweak and it helps. Right. And what what was another big thing is that at the end when they go to uh, when they go yeah. to see V'ger, you know, in the original movie, they did not they had it storyboarded, but they did not have those little light modules coming down and forming the path. Right. It just the path was just there. The path was there. Yeah. Then <laughs> yeah. they had this horrible map painting of the the, the saucer. Oh yes, <laughs> with the wrong, so, the wrong wrong aspect <laughs> ratio and everything. It is just it was just vile. And so that was completely reworked to be more like it was, you know, and this time it was Story even work. more refined than it was in 2001. Yeah. 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 And so that's pretty cool because, you know, again, the path actually forms in front of you instead of them just basically walking under like a rubber mat, which is kind of what it looks like when it's all formed, you know? Yeah. So. Right. And then at the end, when Reger start when Reger starts to transcend at the end and, and breaks up and it just dissolves. Yeah, and you see the Enterprise. That's that's been tweaked again too. You now see the full outline of Vija for a split second. Yeah, you see the vessel yeah. before it dissipates. Yeah, yeah. Before oh, speaking of that, yeah, before before the with only the theatrical, you know, the only way you get a sense of the shape of Vija at all is it's on a tactical plot for a second. Yeah, you know, on this view screen. Yeah, that's the only way. You it get essentially, a sense just of... looks like a starfish or something, right? Because it's, yep. it's like a little starburst. Like, <laughs> yeah, looking right. Thing. It is. Yeah. That, but that's the outline of Vija, and that's that's really the oh. only time you ever got to see that yeah so a lot more a lot of what they did was just (laughs) clarifying things yeah making certain things clearer yeah i mean and then you know cutting out dumb stuff like like we were talking about uh for kirk 
for the story reasons, but for pacing too, because to go back to the whole, they didn't know what they were going to get in time in, you know, December, 1979, they cut out a, thankfully they've cut a lot of extraneous dialogue out because they didn't know if they're going to have an effect shot. So there's stuff that I'm used to hearing too, because of growing up with it, but like their stuff doesn't need to be there at all. So, um, you know, when when the new upgraded shields hold from the attack on V'ger, there's a line from Sulu where he goes, oh yeah, the new screen's held. The new screen's well, held. Exactly. And that's there <laughs> simply because they weren't sure if they're going to have a visual effect, so they better have someone, you know, do right. expository the, dialogue. Yeah, we right. need the audience right. to know that this happens. Right, so, right, right. Same when, when, the, when they destroy the asteroid and then right. they get out of the wormhole and Chekhov goes, we're out it's of like, it. Like, yeah, no shit. We're out of it. Yeah, it's like, yes, thank you, Chekhov. Like, <laughs> so so they trimmed both of those. Those are both gone because you don't need them. Like, why Why would you want Why well, you don't need it. And it tightens things up just to do that. You know, it's like, yeah, we don't need Chekhov stating the obvious, like, so they, they did little things like that that have really helped, right. I think. All right. So we've talked about the things that we liked about it. Is there anything that stood out kind of, you know, that you didn't care for? Well, you know, one of the unfortunate side effects of uh, kind of getting this done towards uh, kind of in the, I think in the middle of a pandemic and then, you know, the, the rush, there was kind of a rush to get this done i feel like they could have tweaked in a general sense sometimes the cgi stuff like i feel like needs to be a little bit better integrated Hmm. but just a little here and there but then but there is one unfortunate Hmm. i think artifact (laughs) that we you can't miss and it's a huge bummer which is that officer's lounge the officer's lounge yeah Yeah. (laughs) Oh, i mean i I mean we you have to talk about it right we have to say something it was jarring yeah I appreciate what they were trying to do. I mean, oh, they're yeah. trying to they're trying to build a set extension. Robert Wise did not he hate when they showed up on that set the day to shoot it, it was not what he had specified. Not at all. Hmm. Not at all. And he was very upset. It's a shitty looking set, it really is. And and <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's a like, bunch it's of a blocks window. with a yeah. bunch of fabric put over it and then yeah. like a blue screen window. There's like no yeah. imagination in it at all. No. So I think one of the things that they when they were talking about this back in the day I think was like, if you can ever fix this, fix it kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So, so Darren and Dr. Min and, and gang built this set extension that makes that set much bigger. And, you know, visually the set itself looks nice, but the way the actors are integrated, the rotoscope. Anytime is, they pass in front of that window. Yeah. So, you, know, you can see it like a thick outline around them and then yeah. they're blurry as well. Yeah, especially he, Shatner when he, Shatner's moving around, you can you can yeah. and you can I'm, really see it. It's I'm bad. pretty sure really there's bad. a split second where DeForest Kelly's nose disappears. So <laughs> no, I mean it's I don't I don't understand. I I truly do not understand what happened there with them. Because yeah, I mean I guess they don't have the original. You know, we discussed how they have a lot of the, they got a lot of the original elements for certain yeah. things. I guess they did not find. The original plates I, that were shot for that scene. It's got to be that they don't. I mean, and then the thing is, that shot has always been pretty rough looking, no matter no matter what. Yeah, there's version. been color yeah. timing issues with it. There's been all sorts of stuff. But I don't think it's ever looked this bad, right? No, it's never looked this bad. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe like like we were saying, they, they maybe they ran out of time and could not get it the way they wanted it's it. Like just just put it exactly as it was. Then you know, don't make tweaks to it. Just use yeah, the maybe leave it the way they had it. No one cut. Yeah. When they just had them in the cells. In the window. In yeah. the window, and that's it. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, the Blu-ray does not come out until September. Maybe they'll keep I really messing hope with that it. They can fix oh, gosh. It for the physical that would be release. great. Because so then it's locked keep... in, you know? Like, yeah. you That's what I'm thinking. It's it. like, it's going to be this way forever. This is like the best copy of this film we've ever gotten. Except yeah. for that mm-hmm. turd of a scene. Yeah. yeah. That's so maybe, such a bummer. So maybe they'll they'll rework that a little bit. We'll see. I hope so. Um, yeah. it's. I mean, the 1979 version is pathetic like there's no doubt because (laughs) because not only is it like you were saying it's basically a window and they threw like you know a blocky sofa and a couple of blocky chairs in there and went it's good but the thing is like if you go back to the theatrical it's a it's a black window because they ran out of time they didn't Mm -hmm. even put a star field in it Mm -hmm. it's just them and there was a star field Nah, well okay not it wasn't a good it. one but it was there okay <laughs> okay because like from what i remember i was just flipping by screenshots of it it's it, at least in certain moments it's black like they didn't yeah. even put it in so again it, this is that rush right like they they didn't even you know really finish even what's there properly so i get the the whole right. let's let's try and right. finish and all it, of it was but... storyboard if you go look at the original storyboard mm-hmm. you can see that officer's lounge is a bigger set like it is now mm. yeah and it's got the nacelles in the window Oh yeah, yeah. Like so many things that happened with that movie, they just, just didn't happen. I mean, it was going to be, you know, like the, the first sketches that you can find out there, they, it was almost like a first class lounge in an airport. You know what I mean? Like it was deluxe. It was big places to kick back, like, right, like snack bar. There, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's just such a bummer that they couldn't realize that. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, so yeah, that is the one thing that stands out. I mean, there are a few other things within the, the movie but, that but are, but that's the only one that's just like, whoa. That, yeah, that's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I I think we all appreciate the ambition of what they were trying to do. Oh yeah, but it does. I, I mean, that's why we can't. To me, how it ended the way it did. I, I and it's better. I like appreciate hearing the context from you guys of, you know, wanting to upgrade this set, but. I still don't understand. Like, what happened? Yeah, that's, yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's the, the question. question, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. But there's that we can only hope that they fix it, yeah. you know, for the physical release. And mm-hmm. Because, like you were saying, like it, this version of the film is so much better. Like in general, the pacing, everything. And then there's this one area, this one thing, and it's like, oh my god, how yeah. getting so close to having it dialed in. There's this one thing that's not. It's yeah. kind of a bummer. So, so there you go. There you go. But really, what is that? The worst parts of that are maybe a few frames, a few seconds a piece, like out of the two hours and sixteen minutes. Right, and even out. in that scene, there aren't too many shots. There's only a handful of shots that go wide. It's mostly a conversation between the three characters, so you don't see that shot that long. But it's still so. There. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> but it's it but burned it's into my memory because it's so bad. I laughed out loud. Yeah. When it came on the screen. Yeah. Like I said, I appreciate the ambition, but it, the execution <laughs> didn't quite isn't quite there. Nope. Not this time. I mean, like there were, and they tweaked some other stuff. There's a whole, there's a sequence when, when Spock goes into Vija's memory bank, which always had a continuity error in it with those rings. That that... that's right. They did tweak that. that. He's like moving through. Yes. Part where he says it's like a giant imaging system. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like when he first goes through. Now they edit a shot as soon as Spock goes through the orifice. he, He goes through these first set of rings and then he goes into the second set of rings that were originally in the movie because 
there was a continuity error between the, the shots of Spock head on and uh. the stuff that was being shown from behind him. Okay. So now everything, they fixed the continuity, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we, that's just really amazing about the director's edition is there are a number of continuity fixes, not CGI, just the editing right. that they fixed um, that I, you know, I to, sort of to prepare, I revisited, you know, the one of the really great comparisons of like what's been changed between the two, like theatrical and director's edition things. And when you think of all the little trims that Robert Wise, who, by the way, an amazing award-winning editor, right? Yep. That's how he got his career. He edited started. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. He knew what he was doing in two that even in two thousand one, right? Like he got to revisit this. Like there's like trim this, trim a second from this that lingers a second too long. Forget mm-hmm. that, you know. Was, and it's just like that's that's he was awesome. An editor. Yeah. yeah, he knew exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's little things where. Um, there's a there's a shot that's literally like moved up a, f- a couple of minutes, you know, and there's a shot that's, you know, sort of flip flopped where yep. they are in the film. And there's really good like there's good reason for it. Like when you watch it, it's more cohesive. And so it's just like, wow, I, I forgot about like beyond the sort of technical fixes, right? These like fixes for prob you know, technical problems yeah. or visual effects missing. Like, no, there's a lot of just like um, smart edits to yep. the film. Yeah. editorial clarity yeah mm-hmm. and there was small little fixes there's another one at the end of the movie which i was looking for when in the original <laughs> in the original mm-hmm. movie at the very end when they're on the bridge somewhere between the, the the master shot when they were on the bridge when they walk in somewhere between that and when they shot the head-on of shatner and leonard nimoy and deforest kelly leonard and d kelly had switched jackets field jackets this is super like random. And, no one knows why this happened. Spock just because Spock had Spock. The science division had red, and the medical division had green on stripes on their field jackets. So when they first got on the bridge, that was correct. But someone I guess I guess Leonard and D did not realize they were wearing the wrong size because you know no, both, no Leonard Nimoy was either. a much bigger man than DeForest Kelly, and and yeah. So in that final shot, they were wearing the wrong jackets. So yeah. Darren fixed that. <laughs> So it's you know that's one of those things that like that was been bothering that, him for that yeah that's deep yeah, forever shit, though. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what other little fix that I, that I wanted to call it that I really liked and it's funny that you know these little things right is and they wanted to do this in two thousand one and they ran out of time so they got to do it finally is when we're coming up on the office complex there should have been a little travel pod docked because we watch. Kirk and Scotty walk into it right. and leave. Otherwise, they would have walked into deep space, and that would yeah. have been, that would have ended the movie very quickly. <laughs> real quick, right? <laughs> so, so it's always that little model should have been there, and it's all in, in the theatrical version. It's missing. Like, mm-hmm. there's never, there's not a, a travel pod docked there. So um, they fixed it uh, partially. Like, like in some scenes, it's fixed, but in the big uh wide view of the whole office complex they just ran out of time to to put it in Mm. so they you know it's one of the many things that i'm sure darren was itching to do for 22 years is put it back so it's finally there (laughs) nice and then they you know to me the star of this whole new version is that sound mix 
Oh my gosh, yeah. That I mean, that's a, it's just light years be different. It's better yeah. than it's far far superior than the original. It's even much better than the original director's edition version too. Yeah, and you know, so this is one of those things where it's like you know, sort of different flavors. But I, I actually have never cared for the director's edition audio mix. I mean, certainly the 2001, I mean, mm. version. I've never been a fan of it. I don't really care for one of some of the things they did. And some, some of the, the choices they made, they I agree. Some of the choices yeah. they made, I still don't agree with now. Yeah, but like... yeah, but at least like you can deal with it because it's a much better mix overall. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, I don't love some of the sound effects they substituted or whatever. And um, and it was particularly like very uh, flat sounding to me in the, two, in the old DVD release. It wasn't very good. Yeah. So um i'm really glad that at least there's that now is oh and i guess we should mention one of the other things they found right this is amazing is they found the dialogue loops that people recorded back in 79 yep and so the dialogue is a hell of a lot better in most places than it ever has been absolutely because they found the original recordings of people's you know dialogue replacement yeah and 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 they just added stuff back in like that oh yeah like when kirk walks into engineering to confront decker there used to be a ship's computer like counting down to a test and now it's Chekhov doing it that's right well and then like uh the when the idea probe shows up it used to, that's that whole the computer used to like count off its um the temperature reading temperature yeah and instead now it's check off on the comms just going uh careful something in there is like white hot you yeah. know or whatever mm-hmm. instead of the you know computer voice which i always okay so i am a sucker for the original computer me too and the klaxon the red alert and the klaxons, klaxons yeah yeah and it, even though the original computer is overly talkative and sometimes really aggressive sounding, you know yeah. what I mean? But like, <laughs> yeah. it's all right. So they, they, they cut all that because it doesn't, you know, I, I know why they did it. And part of the reason why is it's distracting. And the other reason why is consistency. Because right. the, the motion picture sound isn't anything like the rest of the, the franchise, right? right? Like the rest of the, you know, five films don't have that kind of thing. So I get why they did it and I'm okay with it, but. It's a little sad. I prefer that klaxon, though. I love that. Uh, 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 uh. <clears throat> yeah, because what they what <laughs> yeah. they sub what they substitute with is is pretty mellow. You know what I mean? It's not very alert. Yeah, it's very benign. <laughs> so um, it's kind of like oh but, oh red alert. <laughs> yes, a little suggestion by, by of a red alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, you know, those are nitpicks because yes, really, agreed. Really, this time around, it is just between finding the dialogue, you know the. Uh, you know, and having them remix the score, you know, yeah. um, put it all in a lovely Dolby Atmos mix is just, you know, amazing. Yeah. It sounds so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I mean, even like Matt and I, you and I talked about Viger actually has a voice in the movie. Yeah, because of the way Botnik remixed it certain things come forward in in the mix that's yeah. just really interesting yeah and you, you you begin to realize that that the enterprise really is in a very alien environment yes yeah what did you think of the mix kayla i thought it was great i was really enjoying from the opening overture where you're just sitting on it for what, two minutes or whatever it is mm-hmm. unless i felt like um I'd have to go back I, to be fair. I haven't listened, you know, I haven't watched the other ones like within the last year, mm. the previous versions. So I have to go back and really compare it. But I felt like the mids came out more um, than I had remembered. And there, so there were little like flourishes, instrumental flourishes that I was yes. like, oh, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, when they remixed it, they, they definitely emphasized certain things I differently so. than, than ever before. Like yes. The yeah. violas and the um the French horns were just killing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a magnificent score. It well, really is. One thing I didn't like um uh, is in the and this is because of my personal bias, but um in the opening credits, it's what becomes the TNG theme music. And first of all, it's just mixed differently than the TNG theme. So my brain is like, this is wrong. <laughs> right <laughs> but because i've heard that so many times but what i i think the um the bells they should have toned down the bells a little bit mm. there's, xyl- there's a the there's a xylophone in there and it's very dingy that that's was, so fun i'll actually have to go back and listen now that's fine. that was my main my only complaint about about the musical uh, mix yeah it it is weird though because of course yeah it became adopted as the tng theme slightly you know in a slightly different version of it but but it's yes, so it's, some of it, my brain is like, this isn't, it's this weird. Isn't right. Yeah. You're like, this is wrong. Yeah. It's a more majestic version of the score though. And of but, the theme. And they do, I think the mids come out in that as well. There's like this one part, this is probably my favorite part of that song where, um, the French horns do this thing. That's like, in the background and it comes mm-hmm. out and it's, I actually like was like, Oh my God. And rewound it and listened to it again. <laughs> I love that moment. Nice. Yeah, he did a, See? he did an amazing Something new. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Botnick is Bruce Botnick who is the engineer and producer who worked with McGoldsmith on the sessions and for and and I don't some people may know him for working he worked with the Doors for a long time. Oh. That's how I know I was a big Doors fan growing up. So I knew who Bruce Botnick was a long time ago. And but he's a genius, so they they were lucky they were able to get him on this project and let him guide it along. You well, can, it's a good thing that he's still alive, right? Too. Right. I mean, but so you can as we all people, right? But as we all noticed, you can hear the difference. Oh, yeah. it's so noticeably yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. So um, one other thing, and one other thing that was missing in the original theatrical cut that is corrected. Speaking of the music, is the overture. Oh, which yes. actually has right. a star field on it. <laughs> yeah. As yes. opposed to just playing over black just leader. Black. Yeah, I mean they in the there were stories in uh, back in the day that like projectionists were like cutting that whole thing out because they were like, "What is all this black leader doing on the front of the movie?" And they were just cutting it out completely. Yeah. Well, and of course that's how and that's how Paramount know. Plus did it with the theatrical cut. If you go look at the theatrical <laughs> cut yeah, right now on Paramount Plus, it goes straight to the opening credits. There's no opening. Well, and I don't think. Um... Yeah, and that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't even in any of the, most of the VHS copies to save time anyway, you know, so. But anyway, that's back where it, where it belongs, so. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It really is. It's so nice. It's just really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I wish more movies had that stuff again. The big movies, like, you know, big epic movies had that kind of thing. They think, they assume that the audience doesn't have the attention span for it. Yeah, and they probably don't. <laughs> I, well, you know what you know what they do. That's what. Yeah, they probably don't. But also, like you know, that that overture, people were still potentially getting seated. Now it's advertisements. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's true. See, like before, it was this lovely thing to get you in the mood to prime you for like the movie that's coming. Right. Yeah, that's so. Different. You know, the film that's coming. Have and you ever so sat through the credits and then by the time they're over, you're like, "What are we here to see again?" Yes, I know. All the time. Oh yeah. I usually get up during those extra trailers because I know I have a few minutes to pee one more time before the movie starts. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. all right, whatever. It's going to be 20 minutes. Like, 
of trailers. I'd much rather have two or three minutes of overture. Right? right. I know. So, yeah. And in fact, I think um, the the trivia is that this and the black hole are the last two, I think, yep. to ever have an overture. Yep. So, and they came out the same month. At least month. the same year. Yeah. yeah. Same month, even. Yeah. yeah. Both of which had very difficult production histories. <laughs> yeah. Both of which are kind of messes, but that's okay. Yeah. You will note, though, that no one has ever given Black Hole a director's edition. No, <laughs> it's no. not that popular. No. Or no. how many podcasts? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun, really crazy movie. It is. It is. Not, uh, not worthy of. Yeah. <laughs> One thing we forgot to mention is how important Star Trek The Motion Picture is to the shuttle pod. It's, of course, ah. the first ever episode oh, that's true. of the shuttle yeah. pod podcast. Was an experiment in which Brian and Jared discussed Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yeah, the the germ of the whole thing was is that Jared had written an article for Trek Movie where he had he brought up the Changeling. I forget the 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 subject of the article, but he you know Jared loves his lists, and I think the Changeling (laughs) was was one of the things he was talking about. And he takes a shot at the motion picture and and in his little summary of the changeling. I don't remember the context anymore, but he, uh, I said, Oh man, you know, you're totally off base with that, you know, because the, the motion picture is a far superior version of that story than the changeling, which is not a very good episode of right. the second season of TOS. So he goes, Oh, that's interesting. You know, we, we went back and forth about it and we happened to be in Vegas and we were like, okay, well, you know, maybe while we're there in Vegas, we'll, we'll go to one of our rooms and we'll put you know an iPhone down and we'll do a verbal debate over it. You know, we'll just publish it. You know, we, that was literally as, as far as we were going to go with it. You know, just a little back and forth. Okay, Jared, why do you think the changeling is better than the motion picture? And I'm just going to, you know, just back, you know, point counterpoint, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, as often happens when we're in Vegas, time kind of gets away with it, gets away from you. And we never got to do it. So when we got home, we decided to do it. And it was a lark. The whole thing was a lark. But we got such a good response to that first one that we came to Kayla. And we were like, hey, what do you what do you think about, you know, the three of us starting a podcast? And that was the shuttle pod. And then Matt joined mm-hmm. us not too long after that. And Matt, yeah, a little while after that, Matt joined us. Yeah, that's right. Good but, times, y'all. Yeah, good times. But yeah, it was. We were never supposed to start a podcast. It just kind of happened. <laughs> yeah. it just happened. <laughs> right. It just happened. So. And every time I think about, oh man, I don't have the time or the energy to be doing this podcast anymore. Then I'll get like a message on Twitter from someone who's who's like, oh, I'm, you know, really loving the podcast this week or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'll yeah. do it for you. Yeah. No, it, it does, it's very nice when we hear from you guys that. You, you enjoy the podcast as much as you do it 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 definitely i agree with kayla it kind of gives us more of an impetus to continue doing it for sure for sure you know um speaking of which speaking of our a listener of ours kayla so we have a number of listeners who love to support us if you want to um you know Give us a little tip. Buy us a coffee. Yeah, we encourage you to do so at our Patreon. We have a few different levels. Um, we don't give much out from the Patreon. It's really just like a tip jar for us. Um, but what we do do is give shout outs to the Patreons who, who donate a certain amount. And so we wanted to give a shout out to our newest Patreon, Phil Brown, who just joined us on Patreon, supporting us $5 a month. 
uh phil thank you so much we really appreciate you. you we appreciate you guys supporting us um the five dollars is super helpful we're all gonna get a coffee well you know <laughs> one of us will get a coffee per month <laughs> for the next couple of months um but no seriously like just the fact that you did that we really appreciate the love and support we do very much yes, thank indeed. you very much thank you so it sounds like that is a pretty much full-on endorsement to go and watch star trek the motion picture 4k uhd director's edition on paramount plus from the shuttle pod also also if, may, may i interject one more time it will be playing phantom events is doing theatrical screenings of it next month yeah, that's right. So go to phantomevents.com if you're interested. It is definitely one of the few Star Trek movies that really should be seen on a big screen. And that's all I have to say about that. I, I, I agree, yeah. If you go see it on a big screen. Yep. 100%. Totally. And eventually it will actually be coming to physical media with a bunch of extras, which, uh, you know, in, in September, September, which we can talk about more in September. Yes. There should be some interesting deleted scenes that they found along the way and that you know, our new actually does. Yes. We can talk about that. So we'll, but this for will, now, go see it. Yes. Please go see it. And we hope they keep releasing new editions of the motion picture so we can keep doing podcasts <laughs> about it. Or maybe they could just start remastering like, you know, Deep Space Nine and Voyage or, oh wait, that's, you know. <laughs> now we are the TMP <laughs> lover pod. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA, literally. <laughs> literally, figuratively, whatever. We have joined with the creator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> on that note, we will thank you guys again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you again next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. This is Jared. <laughs> <laughs>